0: Dear small town, rural America, I have lived in your limits my entire life. I grew up on your backroads and played in your wide open spaces as a kid. You were always good to me, and yet I grew frustrated at you and your quirky ways as I got older. You were too far from a target, too slim in opportunities, and too inconvenient for all the things I thought I needed. But you were never the one to be concerned with conveniences. You were quiet and slow and removed from the hustle and bustle that most experience in everyday life. So I'm writing you today to say that I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the times I've wished myself away from your old backroads, dotted with little white country churches and friendly neighbors who would give you the shirt right off their back. I'm sorry that I wished you were busier and gave me more places to spend money that I didn't need to spend. I'm sorry, I wished you'd fill all that empty space with things that were more convenient for me. See, I think you knew something that most of us didn't. That there would come a time when we would value those wide open spaces more than ever before. A time when quarantining was an opportunity to discover the beauty you had tucked away on gravel roads. A time when empty land gave us more opportunity to grow food and support our families. A time when a rural area was, in fact, a blessing. And a time when we would see that your all your old values, your quietness, your stillness, and your peace were just the things we've needed all along. Welcome to Southern
1: Salon Podcast, Dear Rural America, Living Through a Pandemic Part 2. And you've just heard Brittany read a blog post that she wrote a few days ago, which I thought was beautiful and inspiring. And I can relate to that because I grew up here too. So Brittany, what inspired you to write that? Well, Amy, I think I'm feeling like
0: most Americans right now, and we've all had a lot of more opportunity to reflect on things that um, maybe we've taken for granted in, through the years. And for me, that's definitely been living in rural America. Amy and I are both from a very small town, and it has its quirks, just as I m- mentioned in the letter, but... I've also found more time to appreciate it now than ever before my kids and I my husband we took a hike the other day and we're just able to get out and tromp around and explore and just be outside you know even though we're quarantined quote unquote at home home for us still has a lot of places that we can get out and, and explore and so you know the things that I've taken for granted through the years as far as you know living here and feeling like it was such an inconvenience for me now that I'm quarantined at home is actually something that I'm grateful for. You know, I think it's just allowed me the opportunity to just slow down and just look around and see, you know, how fortunate I am to be able to get outside and to be able to have space to, to move around and stuff like that. So I think that's probably, you
1: know, that was where that came from. And I can relate to that. And certainly when you think about the pandemic and living in a rural area we don't have the same kinds of problems that densely populated places have i mean my heart goes out to places like new orleans and new york because they're just they're just being hit so hard and we do have i think right now in southwest virginia we have a handful of cases but it's nothing compared to what urban centers are dealing with and that's because you know we're less densely populated we don't have public transportation here. You know, we just don't have, you know, like you said in your blog post, we don't live near large shopping centers and places like that. So the opportunities were were just not there to transmit as much. And And that's something that yeah, we can be grateful for. But at the same time, it's not a rosy picture for everybody. We know that. We just heard um, this week that uh, a huge employer has announced furloughs um, for for something like fifteen hundred employees um, as a result of the pandemic. So there's that. We have smaller hospitals and and fewer resources. If it does hit us hard, and let's pray that it doesn't, we won't have the capacity to deal with it. You know, we're looking at what the urban centers are dealing with, and they don't have the capacity. We certainly don't have the capacity. So it's not, it's not all roses and sunshine. It's, it's got its effects on us, too. But when I read your blog post, I, I thought to myself, that's so beautifully written. And you accompanied that with a picture of you and your kids. I don't know what house, what porch you were sitting on, but that reminded me of my uh, great grandmother's house, you know, clapboard house and front porch and, and just sitting there on the front porch and talking to each other. And we talked about this in our last episode about how, if anything, this is giving us time, time with family, time time that we would not ordinarily take for ourselves. In a smaller rural community, there, you don't have the speed and the race and the the grind that you might have in a more fast-paced place. But we still, I find in my own life, that I will fill up time with work if I don't make myself slow down. So, this has been, that's been a good thing. That's been a good thing, I think.
0: Absolutely. And, And I can relate to that on so many levels. You know, Ben and I were talking, Ben's my husband, and we were talking yesterday actually about this. And, you know, I've seen a lot of people talk about, you know, wanting the return to normalcy. And if anything, the longer we're in this, the more I see that, you know, while there are aspects of normalcy that I crave, I hope that me and my family, as a result of this, will will develop some new normals. I'm very fortunate, Amy and I both are very fortunate, to have a flexible job that allows us to serve our students and then also be able to have families and things like that. But I can make myself as busy as I want to with my job, and I feel like a lot of times lately, especially, I've been guilty of that, of making myself more busy, and so you know, I'm hoping we can create a new normal. So this time has really enabled me to see how much work I've been doing, how much work I need to do, you know, how much quality time I've been spending with my family. And by quality time, I mean, I don't mean, you know, sitting while my kids are reading, doing my computer work and things like that. I think, I think it's really opened my eyes to some things about my
1: quote unquote normalcy that I would like to change for sure. One of the things I think that that has been good for me is that I won't take anything for granted anymore. And I'm laughing because I'm thinking about your post with the toilet paper. <laughs> <About> <laughs> the toilet paper thing has just surprised me so much. But, you know, toilet paper, finding soup beans, like dried beans. My dad brought me, I bet, it looked like gallon bags of soup beans because I was complaining that I couldn't find soup beans anywhere. And he found them, so he brought me enough to last me the whole year. But the toilet paper thing, I just, it was so funny when you posted, Ben had found toilet paper and he was so proud that he brought it home. And um, you were talking about being a toilet paper snob, you know, and I got, we talked about this. I got caught up in that too. I got caught up in the hoarding of the toilet paper. Um, So we've been okay, but. Isn't that strange that, and this is, I guess this is media. This is media influence when you see something and it's looping and it's looping and you're seeing the story in so many different places. It starts to work on your own brain and you say, oh, I have to do that too. It's not funny to not have the resources that you need. And if I have a fear that's, and certainly we can live without toilet paper, But if I have a fear, my biggest fear is in a crisis like this, I wouldn't be able to take care of my kids. I wouldn't be able to feed my kids. Absolutely. Um, My brother and I have talked about that. Like he, you know, he's like, I feel, you know, part of me feels like I need to store up water and I need to store up rice and I need to store up beans because if I couldn't feed my children, if I couldn't take care of my family, that would probably be the worst. Thing that I can imagine besides losing, you know, a member of my family to this. You forgot to mention, Amy, that he brought home lavender toilet
0: paper, <laughs> lavender scented toilet paper, that's which I right. did not know was a thing. Um, it's in the reserve stash now called worst case scenario toilet paper. Why um, do we
1: need to have <laughs> lavender scented rears? I just want to know that. Like, why is that I'm important? important.
0: I'm still giggling about that. But you know, the funny thing about it too, was I really, you know, I saw people early on talking about the hype of the toilet paper. And I thought like, really? Every time I went to the grocery store, I'd buy a big pack. But I mean, it wasn't anything excessive. And I thought we'll never be in a place where we're out of toilet paper. Here we are. Like it's, you're not going to be able to pick it up in in, in a delivery or a curbside pickup. If you want toilet paper, you're going to have to go in the store to get it. So I guess they're willing to see who's desperate enough to go in the stores and, and pick it out. But you know, talking about kind of worst case scenarios from a family's perspective is, you know, you want to be able to take care of your kids. And Amy touched base on a couple of things that are happening in our area and, and mentioning a, a large employer had furloughed some employees. My neighbor just got laid off from his job for three months. So, you know, it's really hitting ha- home and it's hitting close. And one of the disadvantages, I think, too, of living in a rural area is that we don't always have a lot of jobs. So when you're out of work, you're out of work. But one of the things I love to see is kind of how resilient humans are. And particularly, I think people in a, you know rural areas can be. And my neighbors have just started, they've just plowed up their gardens and, and they've been outside working, getting their gardens ready all you know the last few weeks. And so when I saw that, I got my dad to bring his tractor out and he plowed our garden back up that we've not had in two years. So I, I love to be able to see people getting resourceful and kind of making do with what they have. And again, going back to that, things we take for granted. The ability to feed your family, the, the ability to go to the grocery store and bank on getting food, things that we will appreciate when we're finally able to go back in the stores and browse the aisles and pick out new things to try because we've got that that luxury.
1: That's something one of my favorite authors is Wendell Berry, and he talks a lot. He's written for years and years about how important it is that we take care of our farmers and that, and our farms because that's... That's what's going to sustain us when other things, you know, he's he's sort of anti-technology. He he writes in longhand. He doesn't own a computer. He doesn't own a smartphone. But he's so intelligent in the way that he thinks about the present and the future and, and the way that he talks about sustainability, particularly in times of crisis. And I always think back when I think about food and I think about agriculture. And that's one of the benefits here is that a lot of people have the space to have big gardens. We we live in town. We have our little acre of yard in town, so we can't plant a, a huge garden. But we always try to have a little garden, and it's enough for us. It's enough for us, um, and we can supplement with farm with stuff from the farmers market. But that's a you know I think that's another way to teach our kids about sustainability and. And we always get the kids involved in the planting and the harvesting and talking about you know, what's good for you. And do your kids help you with the garden? I mean, I know your kids are little, but but do they get to help with the gardening?
0: Yes, my kids love to help in the garden. And I think it's really good for them. I think it's good for them. It's kind of like a, you know, a mega science experiment for them to be able to plant something and, and watch it grow. But, you know, talking about sustainability, I think that's another positive that we're going to see come out of that. I have neighbors, older folks, and I'm sure you know these people too, Amy, who really and truly still live off the land as much as they can. They kind of have an old school mentality, and that's something I feel like has been disappearing from rural America in the last 30, 40 years. I know you have a, a canned room in your house, Amy, but you know, my grandma both my grandparents had storehouses that were built into the ground where they canned, they kept all their canned goods. And they would can pig's feet, meat, sausage, any kind of vegetable that you could imagine. I mean, there was so much stuff in there. And, you know, with what they were doing was taking care of their family. I bet my grandmother would laugh at me right now. The fact that I'm worried about food whenever she would have had a storehouse full of every type of canned food imaginable. So last year I canned quite a bit of food and we didn't even have a garden. So if you're in a space where you don't have a garden, we went to the farmer's market last year and a couple of local farms that sell produce and I canned a lot of green beans, some tomatoes. I froze some corn. So it's definitely possible, even if you don't have the space to do it. It's definitely a way I think more and more people are probably going to be looking to do gardens this year and take advantage of that because it,
1: it feels really good to be self-sufficient. It does. And and you're right. I, and, you know, I don't think our grandmothers would be laughing at us. I think they'd be saying, we told you so. I can remember mine talking about the Great Depression and being so afraid of Running out of food or you know running out of resources, but they always had enough because they learned you know that was that's the problem. we've sort of gotten away from knowing how to live off the land, and she always told me Absolutely. she would say over and over again i i I'm worried for people, I'm worried for younger generations who won't know how to do what I've done, yeah, and Wendell Berry talks about that, he's like, know where your food comes from, like you should be able to track your food yes. and know." From beginning to end, where it comes from, how long it took to get to you, how much, how many resources were put into getting to you. I try to, I call that mindful eating with my kids. I try to, if I see them shoveling food in their mouth, I try to say, okay, let's slow down and let's eat mindfully and let's think about first to make them be grateful for their food. You know, we always stop and say a prayer and we're grateful for our food. But I always say, I want you to think about where this came from. And we talk about that. If you just are in the mindset of, I can go to the grocery store and pick up anything. Well, now we know we can't, right? Now we know how fast. I mean, this happened in a matter of what, weeks? How fast Mm -hmm. all of that can change. My grandmother also had, you know, she had her smokehouse and she had her her dairy her place. We called it the dairy, but Yeah, we did too. Yeah. And mom and dad built one too that was into the hillside and, and we kept potatoes there and the canned goods there. That was her history lesson. That was always what she would say. And she would say it over and over. And you know, when you're a kid or a teenager, you're like, Yeah, 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 old people and they're, you know, <laughs> they say the same thing, they're like broken records. But they always turn out to be right. They always turn out to be right. Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking about with the gardening and what the kids were learning, and we were talking earlier about you're You seem to be doing really great with school at home. I'm not doing so great with school at home, and that might be the Smoking age marriage. difference. I'm gonna blame it on myself, but it's with ten and twelve year olds. You know, it's it's harder to keep them focused on Absolutely. things, but. I've written about this before, how I really think if parents are mindful of it, you can teach kids so much in everyday activities. Riley got a sewing machine for her birthday. She's learned so much about measurement and fractions, and she loves to cook, and, and we try to incorporate as much math into that. Landon has been at the sawmill with his grandfather this week, and I'm sure he's learned a lot about measurement. In, in addition to all of the other equipment he's learned how to use. We go to the river a lot. We live near the Powell River and we go to the river quite That's a awesome. bit and, and we study the things that are there and and we talk about... Landon knows way more about science than I do. Um, so he teaches me. We just try to find ways to bring that into everyday life rather than always just doing the, the schoolwork. And I appreciate that. I'm going to pause here and say that I know because we're having to do it right now with our college classes. I know how much work teachers are putting into these packets that they're creating and these online resources. And we are using them. And they're wonderful. And, and so I don't want anybody to think that every teacher in the world is on summer vacation because I'm going to tell you that this is much harder than showing up every day and and teaching, putting together these resources and trying to think about what your kids need and how they're responding to it. I know the teachers are feeling Because I'm seeing their posts are feeling kind of stressed out about not being able to connect with their students as much as they want to. So I appreciate their resources, but we do try to find ways to supplement that. And What are you doing? I'd love to know what you're doing because you're so creative
0: our teachers have been phenomenal as far as just keeping up with us. And and it's just, it's good stuff. Like, I, you know, my Parker's third grade teachers sent home, you know, like a weekly lessons for each subject. And it was practical stuff like taking your phone number and rounding your phone number up into the place values and things like that. It takes every ounce of mom in me to actually do this every morning. And in fact, if my husband wasn't, more education minded than me, we wouldn't be doing this at all because I, w- I woke up today and I'm like, It's good Friday. <laughs> that makes me feel the day, day off. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm like, It's good Friday. We should give them the day off after we already gave them the day off on Wednesday because I had to run some errands. And he was like, Well, no, we need to still stay on track so they don't get out of habit. And I'm just like, You know. <laughs> but anyway, we usually start off by letting them read, if, it, if anything, as long as they're reading something. I think they're good. So we let them read about 15 or 20 minutes. And we've been based, I feel like Amy's the one that gave me this idea. We've been letting my oldest um, start keeping a journal where he talks about what he did the day before. And occasionally I'll give him a prompt like, what do you think about you know, the coronavirus, what do you know about it? It's a great or how, does, idea. how are things changing for you? Or, you know, and I just told him it would be fun to look back on when he gets older. So he starts by doing that. I've had him write letters to some of their favorite athletes, people from Sunday school, um, you know, just some practical writing stuff. And sometimes if I'm feeling extra sassy, I'll print off a few math worksheets. Or I don't I can't do third grade math. So I let my husband make a few math problems for Parker. But like Amy said, a lot of the quote unquote learning that I feel like we're doing is stuff that is like common sense learning, which I think is so valuable today. Stuff that, you know, how to change a tire, how to hang your clothes out on the line, how to plant a garden, like living mm-hmm. skills that I don't think we have the opportunities to teach in school anymore because of standardized tests. So I feel like we're getting back in some ways to how learning should be. I, I want my kids, before they have book smarts, I want them to have common sense smarts. I hope I'm teaching some of that right now. Yeah, it's teachers are the real, her- just one of the many heroes in all of this. They have kept my, I know my son got to do a Zoom with his class, and it's, they're keeping, they're keeping the kids in somewhat of a routine. And also, they still feel connected, which I think is important. You know, we just didn't disappear from school and never go back. They've done a really good job making that transition, I think. And I think, too, that this is where we as moms are going to have to give ourselves some grace in all of this, because I saw a really good post (laughs) the other day, and it was talking about Susie Homeschool, who has got her kids engaged for eight hours And then there's me who's trying to cancel school because it's sunny outside and because, you know, we're on a snow delay today or we're on a sunshine delay today. But I think it's important to remember that learning happens in a lot of different capacities. It's not necessarily textbook learning. It can be, you know, any kind of learning. Folding clothes is learning. Hanging clothes out on the line is learning. Sweeping the floor is learning. There's so many ways that we are teaching our kids. If you felt anything like me, Amy, uh, I told my husband the other day, I said, I do not want to complain. I am, I want to try to keep a positive mindset in all of this. And, you know, there are definitely some days at the end of the day where I'm just like, you know, the kids ask me a question and I just stare at them because I'm I'm done. <laughs> I've been mommed all day and I'm done. But I read a post um, and it just something that resonated with me and something that stuck with me and and something that I'm going to probably print out and hang on my wall when I wake up every morning. But this is likely going to be the longest summer that I ever have with my kids. You know, mine are, except for my littlest one, they're all in school. You know, they get two months off usually during the school year for summer. So this is this is a really special treat for me. And I'm trying to th- approach my days now thinking about that. Yes, they are. Some of them are long, and some of them, I tell them, we all just need to go to bed and start all over the next day. But this is the longest summer that I'm ever going to have with them, most likely. And there's. You know, there's a lot of awesome opportunity in that. So I'm, I'm trying to start my day with that in the forefront of my mind.
1: And that's a great thing to remember. Lord forbid we ever have to live through a pandemic again or that we ever have to live through anything that's been this hard on people again. But we may never get an opportunity if you see the opportunities Around us, we may never get that again. Yeah, let's take advantage of it. And I'm thinking about Easter. You know, Easter's coming up, and we were talking before we started recording about how it's sort of crept up on us both. And I, I'm sad because Easter is one of my favorite times of year. It makes me sad that you know people can't come together it'll be the first time that i haven't celebrated easter with my whole family i've never in my life i think been separated from them at easter and that makes me sad but we're going to make the best of it you know it doesn't feel like easter but i guess just remembering what it's all about and i was watching someone on a morning news show this morning he was talking about cs lewis and and you know cs lewis is such a wonderful writer and such an inspiring writer and and he had written a letter to his goddaughter who was complaining, she was about to be confirmed and she and she said, "I don't feel anything like I don't feel God. I don't feel like I'm supposed to feel." And he said, that's okay. You may not feel anything, but when you go into the process and you stay in the word and you stay in prayer, God is still there, even though you have drifted away, right? So you stay in the process and it will come. It will happen. You'll feel it. It'll be there. Um, I guess I'm just keeping that in mind. We're going to do Easter and we're going to, you know, even though it may not feel like, and I know the weather here is supposed to be terrible on Sunday too, and that's a bummer. My mom and dad's church is having church on Saturday because they're doing drive-in church, drive-up church. Hmm. Yeah, I've heard of a lot of churches doing that. Like, People are driving up in their cars and the pastor's standing outside and giving the the message. Oh, wow, Everybody just rolls amazing. their windows down and they get they hear it.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think you I think you make a really good point. Like it's it's gonna be what we make out of it. And, you know, me and Ben had talked about this before. What if this had happened at Christmas and it had separated us like it's doing right now? We we would have probably focused on the real true meaning of Christmas more so than we ever had in the past because we got we always get, you know, it's so easy to get caught up And, you know, all the festivities of Christmas that you truly Mm -hmm. forget the reason of Christmas. So I feel like this is kind of another situation like this where we actually have time to sit down. We're not running from house to house to go visit, you know, all these relatives. We're going to have time to sit down and say, this is what we're celebrating Easter for. This is why we're doing this. This is what what we've been saying, you know, in both of these podcasts where we're talking about this pandemic. Um, you know, by the way, Amy and I are still social distancing. <laughs> we're, we've figured out a new way to um, hook up with microphones through an application. So that's what we're doing. But I think so much of this pandemic and how we handle it is based on the perspective that we have. We can choose to look at the fact, for instance, for Amy and I, that we live in a rural area with limited health care and limited jobs and transportation and shopping and all that, or we can choose to see the beauty in it and blessing in it. So I think that's important as though we're all kind of
1: navigating these uncharted waters is just to think about good. Right. And that's such a great point about, Riley had said the same thing about Christmas. You know, what if this had happened at Christmas and wouldn't that be awful? And I said, yeah, it would be. And I I had not thought about that. But you're right. I mean, this will take us off. The, this takes the commercial aspect of it away and really forces us to think about what that means. And missing being with family and missing the gatherings and missing church and missing the message, you know, missing the traditional ways that, that we celebrate makes it more important i think and you're that was such a great point it does make us focus on what's important not the commercial aspect but the reality you know what it what's really behind it the real message behind it so i think i speak for us both when i tell everybody that we hope that you have a good holiday we hope that you can find some joy and so we hope everybody out there is staying well absolutely and we will talk with you soon